Welcome to the Policy Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Patrice, writer, political science master's graduate, and dirty martini enthusiast. This podcast is dedicated to unpacking social, political, economic, and environmental issues as they relate specifically to policy from both regional and global perspectives with the simple goal of discussing solutions and systems that put people before politics. Fair warning, sometimes the content is intense and we drop some F-bombs. Thanks for listening in and enjoy the episode. Hey there, and welcome to Policy Out Loud's last episode from Germany. Now, today I'm going totally off script and I'm answering a couple of questions I've set up for myself. I don't exactly know how long we're going to be here, but the couple things that we're actually going to tackle today are what are the top lessons I've learned from living abroad? Where are we headed next? And how do I feel about moving back to the continental US? So if you're listening in on this episode, there is a very good chance that you saw somewhere on my social media pictures of moving boxes. And as is good practice in the military, you never announce that you're leaving until you have papers in hand, because even with papers in hand, sometimes the story can change. I know, because it's happened to me before. But we officially have papers in hand. My house is literally been turned on its axis. I've got boxes around me and pictures hanging like sideways on walls because we're trying to take everything down. And I've started hiding things in random drawers um, in in process for moving and we have officially shipped off one of the cars. So um, before we announce though, where this blog and my family are headed next, one of the things I actually wanted to talk about today were what were some of my top lessons from living abroad. And as I'm talking about this particular, you know, section that I wanted to address today, I'm thinking to myself that these probably aren't actually my top lessons living abroad because I'm like, totally, I'm literally looking at three bullet points that are like lined out on my desk. And so I'm more or less just talking to you about the first things that come to mind. Um, And then we're going to talk about where we're headed next and um, what that feels like. So um, first things first, uh, top lessons from living abroad. Well, I have a few that like are the initial ones that come to mind. And, you know, Each chapter of my life has been earmarked by moving boxes, and this part of my story is no different. And I look back at what we've done in the last three years, and when I left the tarmac in Baltimore three years ago to move to Europe, I I haven't yet returned back to the United States. And that was the first time I had ever left my country. The first time I had ever left my country was the day that I moved out of it, and I haven't returned since. And I look at what's happened in the last three years and I look at it with just kind of sheer awe. And that's kind of been what living abroad has felt like in the last three years. And I'm gonna talk about a few of the things that I went through while I've lived here and some of it you can relate to and some of it you may or may not be able to and that's okay. But I look at this last three years and I think to myself, holy crap, all of the positions I've sat in um, over the last the last three years have been truly incredible. I have, I've had this front row seat to the very best and the very worst that the world has to offer. And you may be able to relate to that statement. But in the last three years, I think back and what was the first thing that we faced? The first thing that we faced in the first couple months of getting here was the Iranian nuclear crisis. Yes. Um, when we faced that, that was really 
you know, that was a headline for most Americans that, you know, felt threatening. But over here, that was something that really put our community up in arms because when you are stationed overseas, you are the the purpose of being stationed overseas is that you are the first responders. You are it's a it's a terribly inappropriate joke, but you joke about being the speed bump because you are the first forces that are available to mobilize in the face of a world event. And so the first people that would be mobilized are the people that are in Europe before they would actually bring troops from overseas. And so that felt really intimidating because we were so close to the action and we would have been the people that would have mobilized. And then from there, we went on to... um, From there, I finished my master's degree, which was one of those massive achievements that um, I was really proud of. And I never got to celebrate that because that happened like right during the kickoff of COVID. Um, Then went through COVID-19. And over here, you as a listener, if you were listening to this from the United States, what it looked like from over here was that the United States enjoyed a lot of liberties in how that was handled. Over here we were super locked down. Um, And whatever you went through, I don't want to dismiss that. But here, we weren't legally allowed to go anywhere besides the grocery store and home or the hospital and home. And that was being very well, um, that was being very regulated. And so that felt very intense. And we went through not one, not two, but three very long waves of very severe lockdown. Um, So we went through that. Um, during that time, I built this platform. And, and for those of you who have been part of my story for the last seven or eight years, the platform has existed, but it took on an entirely new meaning during um, the last three years. And it was rebuilt to be Policy Out Loud. Um, and then after that, we it's just like one of these laundry lists that's like stuck in my head. Um, after that, we pulled out of Afghanistan. And um, in the face of an unexpected regime change, many Afghans were fleeing their country. And um, my husband was deployed in the face of that to go do um, aid work. I, on the backside here in Germany, was working in the temporary camps that were processing Afghan refugees to wherever they were going to go and reestablish their home. Um, And then after that, um, war started in Ukraine. And so since then, 14 million Ukrainians have migrated out of, out of Ukraine in the face of war. And so I've had the opportunity then to since work with Ukrainian refugees, speak with re- Ukrainian refugees, um, all the while being in charge of all of the families whom my husband is in charge of their soldiers. So I look at what these boxes around me mean to me and I look at it and there were parts of this story that were so difficult to walk through. I I remember a couple parts of my story, just like locking myself in the bathroom, sitting on the floor and bawling my eyes out and having to really genuinely get that out of my system because I think two things were happening. One, I needed to decompress because I needed to pick myself back up and I needed to go and help the communities with which I had my hands plugged into. And I needed to do that with a, with, with my, my, head held high. But then on the other, the other part of it was that sometimes I really genuinely thought that I needed to sit on the ground so that I could cry out all of the old pieces of me that were no longer serving this vision that I was a part of to make space for the new version of myself that I was learning and meeting through all of these various experiences. 
And so some of these parts of the story were really hard, and I'm sure you can relate to that. And then some of these parts of the story I was in incredible awe of. You know, while living abroad, even in the middle of a pandemic, even amongst all of these things, my husband and I have had the opportunity to travel to 30 countries. And I genuinely look at my ability to have seen 30 countries in three years. And when I say that I've seen 30 countries, I don't mean like, ooh, I went and stuck a toe over a border and like called it good. What I mean is I went and actually spent time in these countries, got to know the locals, studied policy, had the opportunity to see some of the quintessential landmarks that we all want to see and take a really pretty picture with, but also went into parts of various countries that aren't first world countries, sometimes aren't even second world countries, and got to know the people, got to see what it was like living there, got to better understand their their policies and their economy and, and what how the GDP affects their life. And so... I look at that and I genuinely think to myself, like, I'm in awe of what God in cahoots with my husband has helped to facilitate. Because when I looked at my life, I genuinely looked at my life and said to myself, my goal in life is to visit 10 countries. And so to have achieved 30 by 30 is one of those things where I'm like, that was some divine intervention because (laughs) I couldn't, that was a bigger dream than I could have imagined for myself. And as I'm looking at what this next chapter is going to look like, earmarked by cardboard, I don't exactly know what to dream yet. But what I do know is that I, one of the greatest things that I have accomplished in these last three years is the ability and confidence to tell the story I've been living. And over the last couple of years, I haven't been super consistent with this platform because I genuinely believe that when we go out into the world, the best thing that we can do to honor one another and to honor our God is to be present with with the precious people around us. And so when I went and worked with various people in different capacities, I made a point to be present, to put my hands into the work that was in front of me rather than to have my thumbs clicking at something that wasn't. And so I look at, at what position I have sat in with sheer awe and reverence, as well as recognizing that some of it was really uncomfortable growth. And I think genuine growth oftentimes isn't very comfortable. But I've had the opportunity to live this story. And I don't exactly know what my next dream is. But what I do know is that now after having lived this story, one that started long before the last three years, one that kicked off with me leaving my part of the country, and beginning to leaving my part of the country to learn my own country in very dynamic, beautiful ways, to have moved to the South and again to the Midwest, to have worked in leadership in various nonprofit organizations, to work in grassroots organizations, to be amongst the people who are doing the work and who also shoulder the burden of broken policies. I got to know my country better and I fell in love with it in a way I didn't know how to do when I started. I didn't even know it was possible to love my people that much. And then I left. And in leaving my country and coming here and living out this story, what this has given me is a deeper sense of my privilege and responsibility. And those things go hand in hand. And I think sometimes that we see those as very separate words. But when we have privilege bestowed upon us and I want, to, I want to articulate that in a very dynamic way. It is not just one type of privilege. It is dynamic intersecting privilege. When we have privilege, 
we also bear the burden of a heavy responsibility. And sometimes we don't like to be reminded of that. Sometimes we don't like to be reminded that freedom comes with responsibility, that leadership comes with responsibility, that we do have a duty not only to our neighbor, the one that we share grass with, but to our global neighbor. And so what I learned was that I had to shed an old sense of self to become the person I was learning and re-meeting over here. And I've done that through several chapters of my life, but it's taken on new meaning and, and a, a deeper understanding and a wider understanding each time. One of the things that learning this privilege and this responsibility taught me was that people who paint themselves as simply the victim or the victor are terribly unoriginal terribly unoriginal. And I can speak from experience here. There have been times where I felt like the victim and I was really comfortable in that position because it wasn't a challenging position. And that's not the case for everyone. I'm just talking about my personal experience. Sometimes that was a title I was comfortable positioning myself in. And then there have been times where I felt like the victor and those are not mutually exclusive titles. There have been times here where I have felt like, oh my gosh, I feel like the victim. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I feel like the collateral damage. And you know, that's part of my story. Absolutely. But then there have been times I've gone out into the world and I have learned that I am both the victor and the victim. I am both the curious learner and also the asshole. I've learned that those titles are not mutually exclusive. They're fluid and dynamic. They are, they are part of the whole. So I've come to learn that that is a terribly unoriginal narrative. And it's taught me how to understand myself. I think one of the other things that living abroad has given me is a certain sense of self-value. Now, as As an American woman, and this isn't necessarily everybody's story, but as an American, what I do know about our culture is that oftentimes our sense of self-worth is deeply tied to that which we can articulate on our resume. We believe that our value is associated with how we can leverage what we have done, what skills we have acquired, what education we have achieved. And that was my truth. I felt as though my worthiness was associated with my resume. And when I moved abroad, I was put in a position where jobs were extremely limited and my self-esteem flatlined at the beginning, which is a crazy thing to say because I'm living a lot of people's dreams. I'm living, I have the ability to live abroad, to travel, um, and and my self-esteem had just entirely taken a, taken a shit. And one of the things that I learned over the over this span of time I've spent here, especially when I look back at the last three years, is that is that doing is a measure of contribution, not of worthiness. And I'm going to say that again because you probably need to be preached at. You know, sometimes I'm the preacher, and sometimes I'm the choir, and sometimes I'm the congregation, and sometimes I'm all three. But Doing is a measure of contribution, not of worthiness. And I look at the the things that I've accomplished in the last three years and none of them, everything was a soft skill and none of it made me any money. 
but it brought me joy and it brought me purpose and it brought me community. It brought me the most essential things in life that we're trying to accomplish. And I did it for free. And I was okay with that. Because the thing is, is at the end of the day, when we are pursuing money, oftentimes we're pursuing money because we need to meet our basic needs and that's essential. But we're also pursuing community and friendships and relationships. And I never went without those things. And so it opened my heart up to a different sense of value than I had ever applied to myself. I saw myself outside of those accomplishments. I saw myself in relationship to soft skills that I was developing, heart, heart-centered heart skills, head-centered skills, relational skills, community-building skills. And that is some of the most beautiful stuff that I've had the opportunity to walk away from. You know, I've led families through COVID and through rapid deployments and various exercises and cr- personal crises. And for some reason, I thought walking through these things with people wasn't valuable because it wasn't making money. And I learned that, that, that doing is simply a measure of contribution, but not of worth. And that we have so badly as a culture to disassociate our worth with what we have achieved on paper. So that was, I think, one of those beautiful life lessons that I got. And I think that there will probably come a time where I have to listen to this podcast again and preach it myself. Um, But I think that that is one of my big takeaways. So where are we headed next? Well, I am excited to announce that we are actually headed to Washington, D.C. Now, I'm going to back up my story just a little bit. When we were living in Missouri and we had the opportunity to figure out where we were going next in the military, when job openings come about and it's your time to move, they hand you this very large list and they say, okay, pick where you want to go. And at the time, both Washington, D.C. and Germany were open and we chose Germany because we we didn't know if we'd ever have the opportunity to live abroad again and what an amazing experience that that would be. So we chose Germany. And it broke my heart not to choose Washington, D.C. because as a person who loves policy and loves grassroots organization and loves people, going to the epicenter of all of those decision-making you know, modes in our country where all of that is, where all of that takes place, to turn away from doing that to go live abroad was really hard because I really wanted to do policy work in D.C. As it turns out, when we were choosing our jobs again, three years later from from Germany, DC had another opening. And we we were so hopeful and so glad to have gotten, for my husband to have gotten the job in, in the DC area, because that means that this platform gets to move there and I get to move there and I get to continue to look at grassroots work in our nation's capital where all of those decisions are being made. And that is like, my stinking dream. <laughs> I am so excited to be moving this podcast and this this platform and, and the blog all over there um, because I love being at the heart of policymaking. I love learning about it and talking about it and making it more comprehensible and being part of the decision making and the articulation and, and speaking to that. And so I'm really excited to be going to D.C., I didn't know that I would be getting to go from living abroad to another dream duty station. And I genuinely look at it and I think to myself again, like, oh man, that was some God in cahoots with my husband again, because 
because I genuinely believe that I needed this chapter to come first. I've said this before and I will say it again because it is such a significant part of the story as to part of the story that led me to where I am now. But when I left my part of the country, I was terrified. I was so afraid. And I went and I found a different way to know and love my country. And then again, I left to another part of the country and I was again terrified. And I went there and I found a new way to know and love my country. And that is something our country needs so desperately. There is so much ugly messaging about our fellow countrymen in our country. The West Coast looks at the South and thinks a thing, and the South looks at the Midwest and thinks a thing, and then the Midwest looks to the East and it thinks a thing, and we're constantly spewing ugly about our neighbor about our shared country people in our rhetoric, on our news, over our social media. We're constantly pointing fingers at a different region of the country and we're saying, oh my gosh, they're doing that. That is a violation of human rights. That is a violation of of my constitutional rights. That is ugly. That is terrible. That is one thing or another. And off and you know, some of that, some of it is true. We have to honor the fact that some of that is true, but not all of that is true. Some of that is just pure ugly, and it makes an excellent headline that someone benefits from by a paycheck. That is not an honest reflection of the people with whom we share one of the greatest countries on earth, one of the countries that has the largest footprint on earth. And I think I needed to go away from my country to understand what it means to have the largest footprint on earth. I can't tell you how many times I've gone out and I've met people who don't like Americans because of their perception of Americans. And I've met, I've also met a lot of people and there, there is one specific story that sticks out in my head that I will tell you about when I get to the Albania post. But the long and the short of it is I also learned what that sort of, what it means to be an American and what people perceive of our life and how much they revere our freedom and our leadership and our power to impact those around us. What that means, I did not know what it meant to be an American until I left my country. And now, having left my country and having spoken to other people about their perception of our country, our privilege, our responsibility, our capabilities, our footprint, our everything that we hold on this earth, I did not understand until I left. And I met people who knew about my politics better than I did. And that's what I went to school for. People are paying attention to what we are doing. And I did not know what that meant until I left. And now, knowing what I know, I walk with a certain sense of duty and responsibility. I genuinely love my world And I love my country. And having this deeper understanding of the footprint that we have, how people perceive us, the responsibility with which we must carry ourselves. Now I feel prepared to go to the capital of my country and begin to tell this story. I've spent three years living it. And prior to that, I spent six getting to know my country better. And now I feel prepared to begin to tell that story. 
And I could have told a story. I could have told a story. I could have told my story had the duty stations and times been switched. But I genuinely believe that leaving my country to begin to know my country and to know my world has given me this very robust position to tell a very important story. And it's one that you and I share in. I'm not the sole stakeholder in the story that I begin to tell. Neither are you. Neither is my country. I've met 30 countries who also participate in the stakeholdership of the story that I tell. And, you know, I'm telling, I'm, I'm on this podcast and I'm using the word I a lot. And I really, it makes me uncomfortable to talk about I a lot because when I look at my platform, I genuinely want to be the smallest detail on my own platform because I, it's, I don't lack self-esteem in what I'm about to say. It's, it's not a self-deprecating statement, but I am not important to this story. As an individual, I am important. As an individual, I am responsible To my God, I am very precious. To the people who love me, I am significant. But it is not my story alone. It's a story of stakeholdership. It's a story of community. It's a story of policy. And so when 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 I use the word I, it's not just my story. It's one that I know how to narrate, but it's one of very many people. I just got lucky that I've, I've figured out how to tell the story. And so I'm excited to be headed to Washington, D.C. to begin to tell these stories. And I am absolutely looking at, um, at some more formal jobs in leadership. But what I can tell you is that going to D.C., this platform's not going anywhere. I have worked this this podcast and this platform is an expression of love and heart and duty and respect for country. And it's a ton of representation of sweat equity and it's going absolutely nowhere, but I am excited to get my hands revested into communities that I care, revere, respect, and love. And so I'm very excited for the opportunities that are presented to me in DC. Now, how do I feel about moving back to the continental U S Well, (laughs) that feels like a really loaded question today. Um, Now, if you are listening to this podcast, um, at whatever point you're listening to this podcast, it was recorded a week before it went live. Because as soon as I hang up this microphone, hang up the microphone, uh, stop the podcast, whatever. As soon as I'm done with this, um, I have to pack up my office. Like I have to like put away my microphone, pack up my computer. I have to pack up all of my things. <laughs> and that's why this is the last podcast coming at you from this continent. Because even though I'll still be here for a couple of months, I have to send all of my stuff in a crate across the ocean. But today, as I'm recording this, it feels like a really loaded question. I am really sad to leave Europe. Um, I learned during my time here that there are 1800 1800 chemicals put in u.s food that is not allowed in germany that to me is asinine 1800 what the fuck even is that like what the fuck are we even eating so i'm really sad to give up the food i live in a place where the for the most part like vegetables are seasonal i love that and i love that when i lived in missouri and i would go for a run I carried 
Like I carried on my body. Here I go for runs out in the woods with music in my ears, sometimes without my dogs, and I feel entirely safe. I have felt, despite an intense couple rounds of lockdown, I've also felt very free and safe. Now, if you are listening to this and you are like, oh, she thinks we should get rid of guns. That is not at all what I am saying. You should not interpret any of my policy positions on what I'm saying. You should not just assume that I agree with every policy that's in that's going on here in Germany that has facilitated what this way of life looks like. You should not interpret. I'm just telling you that the outcome of their policy decisions I've really enjoyed. I really love being able to walk down the street and get gelato from the guy who made the gelato himself. And I really love that I live in farmland. I actually grew up near cities and now uh, moving back to a city and dealing with traffic kind of terrifies me a little bit. That kind of sounds like an oncoming panic attack. And I've loved the proximity to history and culture and travel. And I love how cheap it is to travel throughout Europe. And we've done it very cheaply. Like I thought that it was going to be more expensive. It's very affordable, especially if you're comfortable sleeping on the side of roads on occasion. But another podcast, London podcast, actually. Um, I think I said that. Who knows? Um, But I'm genuinely going to miss it here. And one of the interesting things about living abroad is looking back at news from the United States. Because I talk to people on a regular basis about our news, like people, Europeans about our news. And they're like, oh my gosh, your guys' country looks like one continuous reality show. And as a person who has now lived outside of the fishbowl for a while, it really does. I really love a lot of the news sources over here because they are not nearly as like blood pressure inducing as what we, we what passes for news in the United States. I don't want to go back to that. I don't like that. Um, I think that we deserve news as just flat reporting. Um, and that has become few and far between in the United States. And frankly, I'm excited to go home because I love serving my country and I'm excited to get my hands vested back in the community. And I'm excited to go somewhere where I can speak English to someone. I have had to interpret everything or translate everything for the last three years. And I've eaten some really weird shit because of it, because with the interpretation and the, the translation didn't come out direct. But so I'm excited for some of that stuff. And, you know, I hate to admit it, but I really like Target. Um, the shopping here is very different. So I don't, I, some of the conveniences of the United States I miss and Lord knows how badly I miss my family, but I'm also really nervous. I I really, I don't, you know, I feel like some of the things I'm saying, I'm not, I'm absolutely not. Um, I'm not shitting on our country. I love my country. I, and I'm ready and willing to do the hard work in our country that needs done. And that excites me, but I'm nervous. I'm nervous because from afar, we see that children are being killed trying to receive an education. This is the same thing that Afghan refugees were fleeing from. I talked to them about it. Black Americans are being shot dead just trying to buy groceries. This is not unlike much of what I heard Ukrainian refugees express about attacks carried out on ethnic minorities in their own country. I've heard them talk about that. 
I see that families are struggling to feed their babies due to a nationwide formula shortage and women are losing control over their own bodies. And the people who hold the power to make decisions are shrugging. They are shrugging while the people who shoulder the burden are saddled with an even greater weight. I don't know what I'm coming home to. Part of me knows, as a person who's lived in a couple different pockets of my country and done some of that grassroots work, part of me knows that some of these things have always been the norm for our countrymen. But it's left the places of our country that it was familiar. And now it's becoming more widespread, which does, in fact, identify an uptick in communities but it's not new to everybody in our country. And I think that there is a lot of hard work that needs to be done. There is a lot of self-responsibility that needs to be taken. And there is a lot of demand that we need to put on the people who are making these decisions. We have a lot of responsibility to engage ourselves, our communities, our states, our lawmakers, to consider the structure of how decisions are made and policies are achieved. We have a lot of work to do. That opportunity, that right there is why I care so much to continue to do this work. I know that you are sitting wherever you are sitting and you see the problem. You want to be part of the solution. And it's very likely that you, not unlike myself, have at one point or multiple points in your life said, I want to help and I don't know how. I see that something needs to change, but I don't know how to facilitate that change to be part of it. That's the question that I want to begin answering with this platform. It's why I care so deeply about this work. I care about it. Because I am you. I see it. I see the need for growth, for curiosity, for opportunity, for research, for change. And I think that how we have these conversations is a huge start to how we can begin to change the policies and therefore change the outcomes. And so I'm really excited to continue to be here with you. Now, with that being said... I am about to hop off this podcast because your girl here needs to scramble and go like clean some shit, organize some shit, hide some shit. I literally am looking to my right and I've got underwear hanging off of a typewriter. That's roughly, if there is anything that like gives a thermometer about what my life looks like right now, it is underwear on a typewriter. But what I can tell you is that I am so thankful that you are here, that you have continued to be a partner to this platform. If you have been with me for years, Thank you. And if you are new here, welcome. If you love what you are hearing, seeing, listening to, go ahead, give it a like, comment, share, follow, whatever it is, however you read, wherever you get your your audio, sign up there. What I will tell you is that while I am going to have to pack up all of my equipment and send it over an ocean, I will still be doing some work here in the background. But you are going to temporarily see a little bit less of me as I pack up boxes and close a chapter yet again earmarked by cardboard. 
What I can tell you is I will still post from time to time. But one of the things that I personally need as I close out this chapter is a little bit of a breather. Not from not from this platform, but this last three years has been a very intense few years. It's been one that has been intense on my family and my relationship and the husband that I love so deeply and dearly. He has worked an incredibly intense job. He has carried so much responsibility through the face of what we have seen going on in this world. And he is going to be able to take a little bit of a breather himself here soon. And that man and I have not shared a breakfast, lunch, or dinner in close to a year and a half. And so when he gets out of this job, we are probably going to be drinking tequila and looking at the clouds for a minute and talking to nobody (laughs) and enjoying the rest of our time here in Europe. So in the meantime, make sure that you sign up for the... Make sure that you sign up for... (laughs) That was a weird noise. Um, Make sure that you sign up for the emails um, because I do write a really cool email. And I will very likely get some sort of like random creative thought that I'll shoot out to you because I do want to remain connected to you in this like little, you know, quiet time. So sign up there. Thank you so much for being here and I will see you in DC.